Welcome to another guest host edition of the Talking to Ourselves podcast. I am Omid Farhang, founder and CEO at Majority. Today, the guest host, Jamie Robinson, co-founder and chief creative officer at Joan, named 2020 Independent Agency of the Year by Campaign. She's been awarded at every major advertising show, including three Grand Prix at Cannes. She's also an Emmy winner and one of Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business. Jamie's guest today is Shannon Washington, who in December of last year was promoted to the role of U.S. Chief Creative Officer at RGA, making Shannon the first black female Chief Creative Officer in the history of holding companies. Her path to RGA includes stops at Gray, Droga 5, and Deutsch. She is a board member at the Marcus Graham Project. She is a maker of award-winning work and a maker of history. This is Jamie Robinson and Shannon Washington talking to themselves. Well, I'm so excited to talk with you on this recording. I'm excited to talk with you. <laughs> um, so, you know, Amid beforehand gave us a series of questions and um, I've taken some from Omid, which I remember when I did the Talking to Ourselves podcast, I really liked. Um, and we're going to start off there. And then I've I've added a few more, knowing you a little bit. And and also you're you're kind of a you're you're an interesting person. So I want to dig into some things that you like to do. Um I will start with the one that is um I think Omid's more or less every opening one, which is um like where were you born and what did your parents do? Um, I was born in Trenton, New Jersey, at Mercer County Hospital, I believe. Um, and what did my parents do? Um, actually, it touches on where I was born. Um, I was born in Mercer County, New Jersey, because my mom wanted to come back to the United States. If she had not come back to the United States, I would have been born in Germany because my parents were both in the army um, and stationed at a base that I cannot remember right now. Um, But my mom said, no, I wanna go home. Uh, So I have two army veterans as parents. One is now a retired corrections officer. Um, and one, the other, my mom is a retired, she retired from the Veterans Administration, but she has basically a career in um, uh, workers' comp rehabilitation administration. Um, she's the best person to call if you ever get hurt in a job, like ever. Like she knows everything about insurance and adjusters. I grew up here. I grew up knowing about like what an adjuster were before I even knew like what a W two was. But I knew like if I ever like fell down at school, what to do and how to get out of an organization. So yeah, I love it. If there's any kind of injury or whatever, call Shannon because she knows. She yeah, knows. It, it, it was super super weird, but um. My dad, I I guess you could call him now a full-time fisherman. And my mom actually about close to, really close to 10 years ago, but it really accelerated again after she retired. She's a full-time jazz singer. Okay. Oh my God. This is way, this is so interesting. Okay. So army, you have a few parents who were in the army. I Mm -hmm. wanted to do that first. What was that like growing up? And, And if I think about 
I'd love, I'd love to think about how that influenced how you are as a creative director, because obviously if you could think of an ad agency and the army, if they first glance look very different, but I'm curious, yeah. I'd like to grow up with two army parents and how do you think that influences how you are? Two. Okay. I don't. Growing up with them, I grew up primarily with my mom and with my dad's family. I grew up with my dad a bit, but no, no, generally with his family um, who are also comprised of a lot of veterans. So growing up with my mom, I think that uh, one thing that I learned about being on a base, like growing up on a base, on or around a base, because um, I did both, learning what hierarchy is at a very young age, even though it wasn't explicitly taught to me, you know how to look for signifiers of who's in charge. Um, and I didn't really realize that I had learned that until I got older, until I started to sit in rooms and be at tables, literal tables, and notice who was really in charge, not who the loudest person in the room was, not who was doing all the talking or taking the air out or like, you know, bossing people around, but who was actually in charge. Because um, there's a lot of parallels between that and like, you know, being around a general. I remember meeting a general for the first time when I was younger and just noticing like how quiet they were. And I just thought, I was like, you're supposed to be like the big, boss person and it's just like tiny guy you know um not say not to say that all bosses are tiny that's not what I'm saying here um but what was it like and how does it show up I think that's what you asked in like today um you know what's interesting <laughs> so this is interesting this is going to turn into a therapy session because as much as I have been influenced by my mother and watching, you know, a single mom raise me and I was crazy. Um, and, you know, I watched her go back to school. I watched her, you know, finish her degree and get another degree. And, you know, um, I've never really thought anything could limit me. I always thought like, if I could do it to, to the point of like, seriously, almost killing myself a few times where I'm like, I could do that. I could, I could do that. I don't know how, I, I don't know how, but I can totally do that. I don't walk into any situation um, immediately doubting myself. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't walk into situations where I'm like, the odds are stacked against me. But I just don't typically have that um, uh, lack, not lack of confidence, but lack of lack of knowing myself if I can do something or not. I'm, I'm crazy enough to think that I can do most things. I'm wrong sometimes. Totally. But I'm just crazy enough to think that I can do most things because I watched my mom, a young black woman in the 80s and in the 90s, literally claw her way to a career, to a life, to remaking her life, to remaking her life again. And she didn't die. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, watching my mom go from, you know, really, really growing up in what, for, for lack of better words, is like very lower middle class 
And then, you know, kind of like progressing us into, I thought we were upper class. We weren't. She was just really good at hiding it. We were like very much middle class though, or lower middle class. But I totally thought I was upper class for like a hot second, right? Um, I still don't know how she did it. And so when I think about where I am today, when people are like, how are you going to do that? I'm like, I have no fucking clue, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I get the gene of waking up at 4 a.m. to figure shit out from my mom. I get it from her. And I used to always be like, why does she wake up so early? And here I am waking up at four, like, I'm going to just figure it all out. Um, And then, yeah, like I said, like just watching those evolutions. People always today are like, how can you be so creative, but so organized? I'm hyper organized. Some of that has to do with how my brain works and my mom was very, very embracing of the fact that I had ADHD. Like when it was first started to be diagnosed in the eighties, you remember Jamie, yeah. um, they were giving us Ritalin and we were walking around like fucking zombies and shit. Like she very much was like, no, don't want to do that. But like, I know she's going to, I know she's different. So I'm organized because of the way my brain works. And that's how I can like operate. I'm also organized because I grew up with chores. I grew up with, knowing that no one else was going to be able to do it but me. Here's where the creative part comes in, though. I would, like, break something and then blame it on someone else. And my mom would be like, Shannon, no one else lives here but you. And I'd be like, and so this is what I'm like. I, I was Dustin's work in advertising because I would be like, well, maybe you did it and you forgot. And she would just look at me like, you know, like, and you know, as a mom, like, I want to, I want to like wring your neck, but that actually is a very smart thing to say, young lady. Like, you know how to like talk your way in and out of certain things. And it's just, yeah, like a lot of that comes from her, like growing up around discipline, growing up around order, growing up around knowing that there is something bigger than me and I am a part of it. Um has been great. Moving, I went to, how many grades are there in the U.S.? There's 12. I went to about nine schools. Wow. Like from first to maybe, maybe eight, about eight from first to 12th grade. So I'm also, yeah, totally moving. Where, where, Where did you live? I, okay. I don't have one of those amazing, oh my God, I lived all over the world stories. It was more so like all over the United States, mm-hmm. between like five states, That's um, awesome. but you know, Fort Meade and then suburban Maryland. Like I grew up between Anne Arundel, PG and uh, Baltimore County, um, including mm-hmm. Washington, DC. And then uh, some time spent in the Bronx, some time spent in, spent in New Jersey with family. Cause my mom, you know, she was, still full-time in the army, then became a reservist. So I was always going somewhere. Uh, But when it came to school, I was going to school based on where she was in her career. And so she would move to get like new opportunities, something that I I was talking to my therapist about this. I was like, oh shit, I did that at the beginning of my career. And I wasn't afraid to do that. And she was actually really supportive of that. Like you have to go where the opportunity is, where people would say like, you got to stay someplace for two years. And I'd be like, ah, it sucks here. I gotta go. Um, I get a lot of that from her. And when you move around a lot, you quickly learn two things. And I talk about this a lot. You learn how to introduce yourself very fast, very quickly. 
And then you also learn how to play the game of social politics, because there is nothing more dangerous than being a new girl at school. It is not, you know, you are like, it could go this way or that. Okay, no one can see me on this podcast. It could go left or it could go right very fast. You could become hated by the cool girls and your life is hell. You could get in good with the cool girls. Know that you're not a cool girl. You're a weird girl, art girl. That was me. And so like, I was cool. I wasn't a cool girl, but I I had enough not, I knew enough not to piss them off and I was interesting enough for them to be like, we're, we're just going to place her over there, but we're not going to tease her. I remember um, when I first went to Suitland High School and the wrong boy liked me because he was the, he was the ex-boyfriend of a cool girl. Oh no. It was, and so I quickly learned, you know, like to how to figure out what those social dynamics are. And so when I walk into a room, especially when I'm pitching, and like figuring out who the social dynamic, what the social dynamics are, what the social dynamics that I want to create in my team, the social dynamics of my clients. Those are things I think that people who are naturally nomadic are used to being in new situations a lot can innately pick up. And mm-hmm. other than that, I'm just like one of those people like, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it? Like self-accountability and things of that nature. Like I can be a bit of a sergeant. Um but I'm also like, hey, scripts are better than push-ups. So yes. Oh my God. I would no, no push-ups. Thank you. Um, okay, so that's a question I have to ask you. You just there are like three things that I want to pull off into and ask about. But the first question I have is, do you feel this is a very loaded question that um I, I have heard tell in the in some of the trades that people feel that um, this this new generation of talent doesn't have the work ethic that some of the older generation has. Um, that is also a old person complaint since basically the dawn of time. Like you kids, if you just but but do you, do you see a difference in the work ethic um, with your younger creatives? Or um, I'll just stop there. Absolutely, I do. Just like like you said, like people saw a different work ethic with me. You know. I I absolutely see a different work ethic. I see a different work style. I see a different work language. Um, and I see a different, not a different, but a, it's not different, but it may, perhaps it's with a different filter when it comes to like goals and what their aspirations are. Um, I think in my generation, I'm a, I'm an Oregon Trail millennial, someone told me the other day. Um, I'm an older millennial, right? Um, of course, we walked in like, yes, I want to do this. I want to do that or whatnot. Well, some of us did. Uh, and that's because we were kind of like replicating, you know, what we saw. Did we want to get there too fast? Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because in New Orleans, actually, I was talking about this how I think that leaders like myself in our particular age bracket, in our experience bracket are very special and very pivotal to the success of this industry right now, because we are basically the cool older cousins, if not aunties and uncles of 
this generation. And if you think about it, as a parent, right? Sometimes you cannot communicate to your kids. You cannot get through to them and vice versa. And this is where that great aunt or that cool older cousin comes in and they're like, okay, so what they're actually saying is, right? And like, we become this translator between generations. This younger generation are the children of the generation that I report into. Yeah. If you think about that, right? And so it does make us like this really, it, it puts us in this really in my opinion, fun position to be able to see things from both sides. And when, you know, at my organization and other organizations, when I do hear older people um, complaining, but let's just say lamenting. I don't, I think complaining is a loaded word. Lamenting around like, oh, you know, they're so different and they want everything too fast and change overnight and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, yes, but, you know, here's a better way to look at it. And then with my younger teams, they do want things to happen right now. You know, they are very jaded, a lot of them, in my opinion. Um, and I worry about that. I want them to see the possibility with this. That's why I am so open about what, what my journey is, because I want them to understand this shit is not overnight. Um, and you have to stay when it gets weird. You have to stay when it gets bad. I hate to tell you, like you staying is more powerful than you think. But I'm able to have that conversation with them, not in a way that my leaders can't, but in a way that is a bit more meaningful. So to answer your question, yes, but it's not a bad thing. I do think that there is a communication gap and an understanding gap on both ends and with myself included, but on both ends that puts leaders like myself in a really interesting position because we are kind of still experiencing things. We're still learning. And no matter if we're failing up or failing down, when we're in that process and we can do this with this younger generation, I'm I'm even starting to see with some of my younger people them understand like, oh shit, like when I became CCO, I'm like, oh, you think my job is easier? Are you kidding me? You know? Um, but I'm really open about what my process is and I'm open about what my mindset is. And if they see that evolution, I think, and I have started to see some, some indications of that influencing them of like, yes, you can do it your own way, but there are checks and balances and they're not going to go anywhere. So you're going to have to figure out how to roll with it and then understand that like, I'm just going to pass on a rock that you're going to continue to push up a hill. But it's all about how you push it up the hill can be better. That's what technology is. It's just an evolution on how to do shit better. And so if they can do that and then the generation behind them, I think it'll be fine. But I honestly, sometimes I look at like Gen X and I'm like, see, these participation trophies, y'all implemented. This is why, you know, but um, and I'm, you I'm did this. You did like, this. <laughs> There was a, there was a, uh, uh, what's his name? John Kuhn, I want to say. He's a chef and he was just like, sometimes I just look at, it was, I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, I just look at Gen X, like, how dare you release this, this generation of Ponga upon us. <laughs> and I love them to death. I really, really do love them to death. I respect everything that they want. I respect their candor 
because yeah. I totally did not have that. Um, I respect it all, but some days I just, I want to shake them. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what do you think that, you know, it's, there's so much to learn. I love your, your positioning of the cool auntie right in between. What is it that the cool auntie can take to the, the older generations and say, but maybe these young guys have it right on this, on this particular thing? Uh, I'll give you one example. Whenever I have conversations around money, yeah. um, how to talk about money, how to talk about how to get money, how to talk about um, raises and promotions and, you know, talent. That was one of the biggest lessons um, and, and experiences I had recently. And it was, and it worked to be quite, to be quite frank, like, I grew up learning never to talk about money. I do not discuss how much money I make with anyone, um, except for my mom. My mom's like, but you can tell me. And now I'm like, I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> um, you know, or maybe with your spouse, but it was very, very hush-hush. It was very rude to ask about money. Um, if I just worked very hard, I would get noticed and I would have a promotion or a merit increase bestowed upon me. Um, and you could say that a bit of that is a gender thing as well, which is very true. But I do think that my generation and the previous generation before me, we have a relationship with money that this generation absolutely does not have. And a lot of it is social or socioeconomic. And so that's out of our control. Um, and a lot of it is also them understanding that that lack of transparency has contributed to so much that has gone against um, marginalized communities and women overall, right? And they get that, right? They learned about it in school. They learned a five-syllable word, and then they're just like saying it everywhere, right? I'm joking. I love y'all. Um, <laughs> and so when I um, first got to where I am now and we would, you know, start to have conversations around like salary transparency and bands and promotions or whatnot. You know, the one thing that I would, I would hear is like, well, you know, you have to communicate it in this way. Now they're very, communicating money is tricky just to be clear. And you have to be very, very, you know, uh, organized in your thinking because that's a very important topic. But to me, there was a lack of transparency because I'm like, this is not like non-public information, you know, like you can ask all of this. And but I realized that there was a delta and it wasn't in communication because I'm not saying that my older generation didn't want to communicate it. I realized that I was rubbing up against a generational attitude about talking about money mm -hmm. versus, you know, my younger cohort. They're like can you post all of our salaries publicly? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, like I had one person ask, like, what if we just posted all of our salaries publicly? And I was like, Shannon, um, I think they're doing that anyway. I'm going to be honest with you. No, 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 I'm getting there. I'm getting there. They were already doing it. They yeah. were already sharing like what they were. And I was like, that is fine. I support it. You know, like y'all got like a sheet. That's totally fine. But to hone in, it wasn't until I started to explain to them what certain things meant and what bands actually are and how they co-align with tenure, they co-align with how you negotiate, like all these things, right? 
and just having a conversation and inviting them to a conversation, like making, um, I created a system uh, of like nomination. So it was very clear who was being, you know, considered for certain things. And it was very peer driven, you know, um, and that was really, really helpful because not only did it put a process that everyone could articulate and understand very clearly, especially this generation, because they were predisposed to think that there was something nefarious happening. It was behind closed doors. So it must be bad versus like, no, it's just a bunch of us like talking about you, you know, and like talking about every single one of you very openly, but actually making that very clear to people as to what we did and you know, not relying on them to read a million different things in a deck to understand versus saying like, hey, we're going to get on, we're going to get on a call. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about how to get promoted. We even did, we started to do sessions on like our PNLs, like how to read a PNL. What is a PNL? This is how we make money, you know, and it's going to be different at every other agency. But now you understand how we make money being at a holding company. Like you'd be so surprised that even if it wasn't tangible, the idea of talking about it was so powerful that it really, in my opinion, calmed a lot of the burning questions, which turn into, turn into doubt, turn into, it's kind of like a, you know, the term catastrophizing. Yeah. Like when you think about something so much that you start to think about like the worst things ever versus like, okay, so if it works like this, they learned how to ask questions better. They learned how to advocate for themselves. Like I was very clear, this is how you advocate for yourself, you know, da, 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 especially to some young women. That was probably one of the biggest things that I learned. Like it's always the very basic. It's it's people always think it's like these like really like far off complicated things. I'm like the basics with this crew over here, this young crew, if you can talk about that in a way that it is tangible, and it is actionable, that endears you to all of them. Because they're, they, they've just been, quite frankly, they've just been fucked in a lot of ways. And, you know, if you think about it, like through the government or through, you know, schooling or just society or whatnot, and they're like, everyone is telling them one thing and doing another. If you have the opportunity to kind of like make a very opaque screen clear for someone, especially in this generation, it goes a super long way. Shannon, this is great advice. And um, and it's it's I think anybody who's a creative leader or or non-creative leader, I mean, I guess everyone in our industry is some is a creative leader of some sort. I think you've just given a really great unlock on how to talk about it, especially because from what I what I know, I believe New York State's going to start requiring posting of salary yeah. bands. So mm-hmm. get ahead of it and talk about what it takes to get up at the higher end of the band. Um there's something I wanted to ask you about. You mentioned, you touched on it briefly when you were talking about going from school to school. You talked about when you were moved from job to job. And I'd love to know from you, when did you know it was time to leave a current place of work and go somewhere else? Okay. Um, outside of like, I don't know, my boss getting up at a company event and mentioning tribes in Africa as a diss uh, and being like, why am I working here? That actually happened as a whole other conversation. Um, It wasn't at any major agency people. Don't be, don't go around. There's no one, you know, nothing like that. But um, 
outside of very blatant, you know, things. Now, I think it's important to know that when I was doing that, I was also shifting industries. I was going from more like entertainment, lifestyle marketing, in music, lifestyle, entertainment, music marketing into advertising. Um, but the parallels are the same. I knew it was time to leave when number one, I saw my future and it was sad. If I could see someone in the position that I wanted and they did not look being stressed, being busy, you know what I mean? Being in a challenging position, that's uh, that's a part of the job for me. But if it was to the point where I did not feel like either they were able to be happy or they were doing things that are were a result of them just not being happy. I tend to think that there are very few people in the world who are naturally evil and naturally mean. I do think there are a lot of unhappy people in the world and their circumstances cause them to be mean, cause them to say vile things or do vile things. Whenever I saw that, I'm like, whatever is happening to you, I don't want it to happen to me. So I'm out. Um, in some instances, I would be in places where I'm like, they have no idea what to do with me. And I'm going to be maligned into a role or into a department I don't want to be in somehow. Um, finding out that you make like, <laughs> I found out that I wait, I made like less money than Less money. I don't want to say the receptionist, like receptionists are supposed to make like very low pay because I don't think that's true at all. Some of the best EAs deserve every coin they get. Um, but when I found out that I was making less money than like support staff, um, I was being underpaid by like $30,000 um, guys who were doing less work than me. I've done that. So it's definitely been like salary. It's been when I've been in a position where I can see the future. I don't like it. It's been when I've been in a position where I'm like me as a woman, in some instances, me as a black person, me as a black woman, this is not a safe space for me to be in, or it is not a productive space for me to be in. I've been out. And those three things combined, I had to explain this to one of my mentors because he was really worried. He's like, Shannon, like you're hopping. And I'm like, dude, I'm not doing this because I want to. I'm doing this because I want to stay in this industry. And I have to find the best place for me to be that will not impact what I do adversely, you know, and, you and, you know, as creatives, like our environment is very conducive to if we're successful in terms of like our output, you know, like you can't be, you can't expect someone to like make the best work when they're feeling for all intents and purposes, like almost like attacked on like every level. Yeah. Um, there has to be at least one thing going, okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? So they can like hearken to that. But especially at in our industry at that time, I was a I was a hyper minority. And so that absolutely kind of is either at the forefront or the background of a lot of my decisions to leave, where I'm just like. Nope, not going to happen here. Nope, not going to happen here. Nope, not going to happen here. But I did make sure that I left elegantly, as my mom would say, um, that I grew my network, uh, which has helped me tremendously as I've gotten older. And I tried 
to do something to change the situation that I was in. Like I could point to things and be like, I did this, I tried this, I looped this person and I did this. And it became one of those things where people are like, okay, so we can see why you're leaving. Like I never left any place like on fire or anything like that. Um, yeah. And, and I think um, that advocacy for yourself and for your, for your creative self too is so admirable. Um, you, we're talking and you were talking about your career path and it has taken some really non-traditional, taking you in some non-traditional directions from entertainment and content and, um, and, and like, you know, content production, all sorts of, um, super interesting things. I'm wondering, how do you, how do you see that as positioning you for this next, the next kind of iteration of what advertising can be? I didn't really make that connection until recently. Um, like it's been talked about for sure. You know, it's been talked about in interviews, like when I've interviewed for jobs and things like that. And I think people being somewhat creatively ambidextrous is a good thing. I also believe in specialists, subject matter, subject matter experts, if you want to call them that too. Um, and that is kind of why I just kind of sat with this because I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't believe it, but I, it didn't contextualize to me until recently. I think that we are experiencing, we are starting to experience the convergence that we talked about in this industry at the dawn of user generated content. If you think about like, let's go all the way back there. Um, and what happens when everyday people pick up a camera and start to capture the world around them um, and to create content alongside the dawn of camera phones. Uh, but the pathways to some of the best content makers who have turned into marketers have all been super divergent, like myself. Um, I think I just did maybe like the professional version of what they did, you know? Um, but I think it's incredibly important. I think it's incredibly powerful. I think it's incredibly, um, it, it, it does give me a leg up in a lot of conversations in the way that I'm able to connect with pretty much most, all, if not all of my team, like in understanding what their, what their process is. Like, it's one thing to like, I'll give you an example. So it's one thing for someone to like know an experiential producer or done experiential work as a creative, right? Say for instance, you're like a copywriter and like you're doing things for that, but it's another thing to have produced a tour. I have produced a tour, you know, <laughs> and, and to understand like, what is it like to figure all of those elements out either creatively or logistically. And so I've produced, you know, commercials. I've produced image, uh, are still captured things. I'm trying to talk about this eloquently. I produced like photo shoots. That's what I was trying to say. Um, you know, and I did it for my friends, or I did it for work, or I did it for like freelance. And I'm able to connect to those professionals that I work with, I believe, in a way that they understand and also understand like a process and how to how to optimize a process in a way that's very realistic for how we're making content now. And then thinking about like where our work can go and who belongs in this room. I'm a staunch believer that we all belong in this room. I'm not one of those people who, and I've seen it and I feel like it's something that we don't talk about, but we need to start talking about is how we gatekeep this shit. We gatekeep this shit so heavy because we have the fucking nerve 
to think that we are the only people who can do this. And we are not. We are not. There are some hitters who are 19 years old walking around with a Samsung S23 just killing it right now. You know what I mean? And I love that. And I love that because I was that 20 something year old or I was that 19 year old coming into this industry, had no business being here. People told me I had no business being here. Like, you know, you were a designer, then you're an art director, but you weren't doing, you know, you didn't go to portfolio school. I didn't know the lingo. I didn't like, I had no clue what, um, what was it? Oh, oh my God. I'm trying to like train my mind back to like 18 or 19 years ago. Um, and it was like some type of like editorial lingo. And I had no idea like what it was. And I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> but then I'm like, oh, wait, that's when I tell my boy Berman to flip it like this. It's the same thing. We were, um, it was something to do with like stop motion or something like that, you know? And I'm like, wait, everything that you guys have done, I have done you know, in the streets of DC are in the streets of Brooklyn and working, you know, with five dudes to make uh album cover or to make a music video for someone or to like shoot someone's catalog or headshots or something like that. Like this is stuff that I was freelancing in my twenties. And when I worked, you know, sort of working in the music industry, which is very akin to like, they saw street creator, street content makers before we did. Like we can never, ever say that we were the first people to like look to non-traditional spaces that firmly belongs in entertainment because that has always been the case. Like people taking, you know, a guy who can shoot things really, really good. And he becomes like a multi-million dollar director 10 years later. Um, when I first got into this industry, I was quickly made by some people, not all. A lot of people were super into it, but to be made inferior because I didn't have the right lingo. I didn't have the right pedigree, but there's one thing that I had what they didn't. I was talented and I knew how to do that shit. I just didn't know how to do it the way that they knew how to do it. And so now when I'm talking to young content makers, especially, I can relate to them through a professional lens and I create, I can relate to them through a professional lens that perhaps isn't codified as professional and know exactly what it is that they want to do. I said this at a culture con the other day. I'm like, everyone has a homegirl who's super fucking organized in the crew and knows when to be there, how to be there, what happens if it doesn't work, the plan B, the plan C, they know you know, how to get clothes at two in the morning or something like that to make whatever piece of content you want to make. That is your producer. That person makes so much money right now. Like the best producers I know are the most brilliant creative problem solvers. Everyone has one of those in their crew. If you have a crew like that at your age and you're thinking like, oh, I can never, I've heard people say that I can never make a commercial like that. And I'm like, you already are. You just have to learn a different lingo. You have to learn a different industry, but the talent is the same. And it's leaders like yourself and myself and others who can recognize that in people and really truly learn how to codify that. The money is not going to be the same. The language is not going to be the same, but the talent is the fucking same, if not better. And the sooner I feel like we learn that, like I was maybe like the first generation of that. And now I'm old and live in Jersey. 
Um, but the second and the third and the fourth generation of that have like taken what, you know, my generation, because we all kind of work in the industry now and look at ourselves, like how the hell did we get here? But they have taken that, they have resisted even coming into our industry because they're like, why do I need to? And I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think it's on us, not for them to figure out how to work with us, for us to figure out how to work with them. And when I think about like people like myself and like Todd Triplett and a few other people that I'm off the top of my head who know how to do that innately well, we're a bridge we're like the bridge that procurement hates, but we're the bridge that the industry needs. I think I just went on a full tangent. I'm sorry, girl. No, no, it's, it's tremendous. You know, I was just thinking the other day that Gen Z and Gen Alpha are like the very first generation that or generations that um, are growing up where creativity is so democratized. Like what I remember when I was little, there were kids that were creative and there were kids that were not creative. And the way that these kids interact with each other is through create creative play. Like they're on Bloxburg, they're on Roblox, they're making TikToks. And, and your point that you just made, I think is so um, incredibly vital, which is that it is on our industry to try to convince these people who are growing up as, as just creators by nature to come work with us. So the tangent was Fucking gorgeous, man. I love it. All right, I'm going to shift. I'm going to shift because I don't want to run out of time before we have this conversation because this is a super important one. So the headlines in December, right? They featured some pretty exciting news for this industry and um, and I hope for you. Um, but, you know, the, the headline reading that you are the first black woman to be wow. named a chief creative officer in the history of all holding company agencies was something that felt like a thunderous moment. I'm going to tell you, sitting, just knowing you and sitting from the outside, not working RGA and, and reading the headline, like I got choked up. Like, how did that feel? Like, did you, how did you feel? Oh, wow. Um, I can talk about it more holistically now in the moment, very crazy because I didn't expect that announcement to come into January. And I was like, oh, planning to have a mo, you know, planning to like prepare because I'm hyper creative, but also hyper organized. I was planning to prepare and have like a response, um, but it had to come out sooner uh, because it appeared in a newsletter in LATAM um, and it was totally by accident. It was a very well-meaning accident. This woman mistranslated something um, and they thought that it was like, let's just get ahead of it in case anyone reads this, you know, and translates it back or whatever. Um, so it was very like, like, oh God, hi, hello people. And I was not prepared. I still have not responded to anyone listening. If you ever LinkedIn message me and I have not responded, just know that the level of anxiety I get when I open my message feature on LinkedIn is very physical and I shut down. And it's something that I'm working through. It's the same thing with my emails. I'm working through it and it is not personal. Um, was it a watershed moment? Yes. Uh, it didn't dawn on me. That news didn't dawn on me until we were in the conversation. And was it Erica at the 4As mentioned it or something? I was like, no, that could not be fucking possible. That is not possible. That is not possible. No way. I just knew. I was like, no, no, no. 
And that's because, you know, I started in this industry working at Carol H. Williams. She was my first CCO. But she's also an anomaly because she was the first CCO that I had, but she also had her own agency, you know, yeah. an independent agency. And I was actually, I actually worked at more independent agencies before I worked at holding company agencies. So I had seen it before. Was it rare? Yes, but I had seen it before. So it didn't really dawn on me until like I researched the timeline of holding companies. And I was like, oh, oh Jesus. Um, it's incredibly humbling. Uh, I think I handled it the most, the way most black women do, which is like, oh yeah, it's great. Let's do some work, you know? But um, I had to, someone told me, an angel told me like, you need to sit in this moment and not try to work your way through it. And there were some people who tried to take it and use it as like, and they were very well-meaning just to be clear. as like, see, this is why, you know, and the work we need to do. But I'm like, okay, hey, Martin LinkedIn King, I just need y'all to, Calm down, because I am trying to enjoy this. I'm going to do something that women like myself are not afforded the opportunity to do. And I'm going to sit. And I went to Mexico with my husband. And I enjoyed it. Um, and so now when I look back at it, it's a double-edged sword. I'm incredibly honored. I'm incredibly proud. I'm incredibly proud because I do see a few young women coming up right behind me that I'm really excited about about um yeah. just woke up yeah, but, um, there's a little pooch i believe in the background for the in the yeah. middle of this amazing moment but yeah he just like stood up that is the last <laughs> pitbull and he is a class by himself um incredibly proud of myself incredibly proud of the women that i'm representing um i'm happy that there's more of us we can fit in a bus i think now we can maybe fit into two buses when I first started, we couldn't get in the car. But it's also one of those things where you look back and you're like, like I said, you're like, no way. And then you're like, fuck, how the hell did this take so damn long? And so being a first is a trend in my career. I've been a first, whether an acknowledged first or not, pretty much everywhere that I've gone, whether it's like the first black person or the first woman doing something or the first black woman. First black woman has been kind of like check, 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 check as I like have gone forward. But when you look back and you look at your colleagues around you and then you look at their leads and the leads before them, there is a level of like, it shouldn't have taken this long. It should not, like as honored as I am and I take it extremely seriously, I do look around like I appreciate the love but I need you not to get caught up in that love and caught up in me because I need you to take a little bit of that and look inward and be like how in the hell has this not happened before 2022 um because people relish some people relish in being a first and they think that it is a great accolade and it is it's very humbling it's extremely humbling it's also, it puts a level of pressure on you that I've learned to deal with over a few, a few years. Um, I don't have the pressure to perform. I, I release myself from that. I'm like, 
yes, I'm the first black woman doing this. But y'all gotta get the black black woman doing it. Some days I'm some days I'm even like, oh God, they picked the wrong one because I am just out here like all over the place. But I'm like, it's what y'all get for waiting so long. So like I said, Jamie, it's a double-edged sword. Like I'm I love I love it. I love the the cadre of women, especially like yourself and other leaders who are like, girl, it's about time. Welcome. It's crazy here. Come on in. Um, but there is a hauntingness of it when you sit and you're like, damn. You know, like it took this long, but also damn. Because you, you want to how do I say this? Sometimes you want the privilege to disappear and not be the person everyone is looking towards. And I avoided, um, if you asked uh, Tiff and a few other people, I avoided this. I avoid, people have asked me and I have been offered that job a few times and I avoided it. Every time my name was up for consideration, I would figure out a way to work my way out of it. And it wasn't because I didn't think I could do it. It was because, and you know this, the visibility on you is so intense and you can't hide. And I love to work. I love to be with my teams. I love to like uh, get on people's nerves called board members and C-suite executives. And I, I felt like I was more powerful when I was in a space where I could kind of like hide behind something and no, no one's looking at what I'm doing. So I'm over here doing all types of shit, right? But in conversations with people like Danny Robinson and Christian Borges and a few other people that I can name that at one time or another would say something like, girl, you better just shut up <laughs> and do it and understand that, yeah, the visibility, it sucks some days. You, Your mistakes are 10 times more public than your wins in a lot of ways. But I don't know. Like, I accept it. I do accept it now. Um, and I, I, what I like to say is I'm not the first. I'm just the first to be recognized. I know that there is a woman that came before me that um, probably deserved this before I did, whether 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and she was not recognized. And she probably left this industry and she probably did something else. And I don't know her name. I don't know who she is, but I know that I am not the first, but I'm just the first to be here. Does that make sense? You know? Um, and that's what it, keeps me. I did not mean to cry. Make myself cry. Now you're making me cry. Like, oh my. These are tears, people. Just understand. I will still whoop your ass, too. <laughs> Shit. These are thug tears, folks. Damn it. Oh, fuck. Okay. All right. So powerful. And. Oh, man. Like, there's just so much in there in that. You deserve all of the recognition. And then to look and say, somebody somebody else paved the way a, a bit for, but didn't get the recognition. 
I have to say, I hope that the, those those women are out there and are looking and are smiling. And I, I know that they are. Even if they left this industry and they were like, fuck this place, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. I'm looking and they're, they're really proud of you, Shannon. I just want to say. Yeah, I, I feel them. I feel them. I hear them. I, I'm, I'm very into like, you know, the idea of community and ancestors and, you know, people guiding you that you don't even know who guides you. So I, I feel it. What I feel it a lot. I feel it especially when I want to respond to an email and are really, really like, okay, so what you're not going to do is wait. <laughs> like I can feel, I can feel that. And then I also feel them saying, girl, you got to rewrite that email. You know, you can't send that email. You know, you can't send that email. You're going to get fired. I feel them. I feel them when it's like, girl, just, just do not call him that. Just, just say per my last email. Don't say if your dumbass would have read what I just wrote. Like I can't say that. That's them. That's when they come in. They're like Shannon. Stop. Stop. Right like, girl. Girl. Stop. Girl. Come back. Come back to earth. And I'm like, okay. All right. All right. I get it. I get it. I'm just thinking about about these voices and the souls, and then I also think about your voice and your soul, and um, and you know, in doing this LinkedIn. I, I, I know that you are very uh, involved. Sorry, in doing this this this, uh, this podcast, I know you are very involved in the industry because I just, I just saw you at the One Club Creative Creative Leaders Retreat, um, and and talking to the next for, generation. For everyone on the podcast, I want to tell you guys about Jamie eating um, charboard New Orleans charboard oysters for the first time, and the look on your face was like. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, Shannon took us to this amazing oyster restaurant. What's it called? Dragos. Oh, Dragos. Okay. And uh, and honestly, like the mo- I think this may be the most delicious thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. I was just happy to see. I wish I would have had a camera to see that moment. <laughs> like three of the top people in this industry who were just like, I make great choices. I, um, oh, yeah. I you know, I am high, very high class. Even though Jamie's not high class, but I'm very. <laughs> I have I have I have eaten at the top restaurants. I can't. I had them in around the way Dragos, honey, and y'all were like, "Oh my god!" And that just blessed my heart. So super okay. tangent, but like you're, you're making me life. like taste it again, and I'm like, I need to get a trip down to New Orleans just to 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 eat that again. Okay. So I want to just say though, as I was looking, you know, preparing for this, and also I know you're on the ad council or you were on the ad council last year. You were on the review board for the yeah, work that yeah, we I still am. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But then I went to your LinkedIn and I'm like, oh my God, this woman is so involved in this community, a board member of the Marcus Graham project. Um, you're a creative advisory group member of the Unstereotype Alliance. How do you so first of all, why is it important for you? And then how, second of all, second part question, how do you find the time? Um, it's important for me. And I, just to be clear, like, I don't want someone to think that they have to go do all this shit at once, because if you were to do it, you would go nuts. Like I did a few years ago. And that's when I started to scale my involvement with all of these things. I'm very clear about my boundaries of what I can do when I can do it and how I can do it. Right. Um, so that's kind of like it, it that kind of touches on the how. Like I don't do everything equally. If I were to do that, I wouldn't be good at anything. Um, and so there are certain seasons where I give more of myself to certain organizations than others, and they know that. Um, or I'm able to do things in varying ways. But the reason why I do that is because I prefer to work. 
Um, my joy is in the work. My learnings are in the work. There are a lot of people. Let's not be messy today, Jenny. Um, no, I'm talking to myself. Let's not be messy. Today. There are a lot. There are folks who do a lot of talking. Just a lot of talking. Just like, yes, we need to do this, and they'll do this panel, or they'll appear at this thing, or they'll write this long ass LinkedIn post, or something like that. All the things. And I'm like, that is fine. You do you. Boom. Me, on the other hand, I'm always looking for ways where I can tangibly support our industry and especially our creatives, um, our younger creatives, our BIPOC creatives, our younger female creatives in ways I don't care if they're seen or not. And so with these organizations, and sometimes it's as simple as like... making like one or two connections in the background and how they come to be is how they come to be. Um, but I like to do that. I like like for, I, I, I think I'm still a tutor or I forgot what they call us teacher mentor. I don't know the one uh, with one school. Like I love getting every year to, and talking to that class and lightweight scaring them. And um, because I like to see what they look like. I like to hear their answers. I mean, their questions are always the same and I don't care. But I know that those are questions that I wanted to ask someone like me, you know, Um, there's more joy in that. Uh, I have a lot to say and I could spend a lot of time just saying it. And I've written a few things here and there. But my my like mothering, my joy, like my desire to do that is in ways that I can be more actionable either to the work, the outcome are the people. And it actually touches on what we were talking about earlier. I do prefer to do things in the background. Um, I can do them at my pace. I can do them in ways that work for me. I can do them in a way that I can communicate that's a lot more comfortable. Um, And I can have more fun. It's more fun to be a ghost in the machine, in my opinion. So, But how I do it, um, I just don't do everything at once. And some days I shut down, like I'm not mentoring right now. A few people have asked me for that and I made a conscious decision not to do it until maybe Q3 or Q4 of this year. I have a hundred and how many of y'all? Like 160? I have 160 mentees at RGA right now. Like I'm trying to focus on and, you know, I have my business. I have my life though. You know, I have my, I have this dog who you, I don't know if you heard, just made a lot of biological noises in the background. Um, and it's bad. Okay. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I just, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. He's just growling and burping. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Um, Usually that leads to like diarrhea. No, no, he's sleep. He does it oh, in his sleep. sleep. Oh boy. Like who, all snores, like who snores louder? My dog or my husband? I don't know. It's an ongoing competition right now. But like I have him, like I have my family. Like if there's one thing that I've learned, especially not just being a woman, but being an older person, I feel like, but an ambitious person is that if I spread myself too thin, I'm mean. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be my best, which is going to make me mean because I'm going to be beating up myself internally. And I'm not very helpful to other people. And 
thankfully I work with organizations that understand that. I'm like, I'm going to be the most helpful doing this, this one thing, and I'm going to do it amazingly well, but I'm not going to do all the things. And so like, like Lincoln at Marcus Graham is so, so empathetic to that. He's just like, girl, I just need you to do this thing. And I'm like, okay, got you, you know, but like, I'm not, I'm not spreading myself then in 2023. Well, that is, um, I think that that's a great plan of attack on how to, how to like, I don't know, engage in a responsible way that's also nourishing for you. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more question and then we'll wrap no, up. No, you're not rushing. Don't rush. But it's just, no, no. podcast yeah. people, I heard, I hope you do not hear this dog snoring because it is so good. I, I hope you do. I can't hear because the way that Zoom is working out, but I'm, I'm like praying to God that this thing, when we go on to, we go live, that I can hear this huge snore. I'm like, I'm even leaving leave some silence to see if we can. Anyway, all right. Okay. Last question I want to ask you is because I think everyone needs to know this if you feel comfortable. Yeah. When I email, you're a big traveler and I freaking love this. When I emailed you to talk about this podcast, where were you? And can you tell everybody what you were doing? I was in Trinidad. I was in Puerto Spain for Carnival. Yeah. And I was like, I'll get back to you, but I'm at Carnival. Oh my God. Did you have a blast? I had an amazing time. That was maybe my, I think technically my seventh carnival. My gosh. Our eighth, well, my, I can't remember. Um, And not like jumping, but going. Um, But like maybe, how many times have I played Madison Trinidad? Like one, I gotta look, I gotta count costumes. One, two, fourth? I want to say, um, she just said costumes. Talk about that. Can you, what are they? Are they they're amazing things? Beautiful, beautiful costumes. Yeah. It's, cool. right. yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of history to it. A lot of context. Um, that is important to know. It's not just girls in costumes with feathers. There is, uh, especially Throughout the American South and the Caribbean, there's a ton of historical uh, context that really, really dives back to, you know, the diaspora and how we all got here and what we're celebrating. Like, it's not carnival like Venice, you know, Um, but it comes from that because it's on the Lenten calendar. But um, Mardi Gras is carnival as well, which we saw a little bit of uh, together in New Orleans. But it's for me, it is the best family reunion I can think of because I am surrounded by so many people who I love and music that I love and culture that I love. But you know what I really, really like about it is watching people who are amazing individuals. I mean, amazing, hardworking, incredibly ambitious, incredibly successful individuals. And for about, depending on how long you're there, four to 14 days. They are just letting go and especially women when you get to like Monday and Tuesday. And I love seeing bodies. I love seeing women in their bodies, women and men in their bodies. And what I mean by that is if you look at um, like we get to advertise for Carnival, it's a very thinner, lighter skin. It's a very, very typical demographic of a woman that you're going to see. That is the complete opposite of what you see in real life. What you see are short, tall, every shade of the rainbow you could think of, short hair, long hair, curly hair, kinky hair. You see rolls, you see stretch marks and cellulite and 
and curves and dimples and all of that. And you know what? Everyone is getting it. Everyone, everyone. There is no one that is feeling, you know, left out there. I'm not going to say left out because that's very subjective. But when it comes to who is being praised and who is being uh, given attention, it is very, very, very everyone can get it. And very age, like you see all ages. And I love being in a place where I see women, especially completely comfortable in themselves. And no matter like what your journey is like with your body and like your body image, it is one of, it can be a very dangerous place for some women, you know, especially if they have like image issues and things of that nature. But I'm, I'm lucky to be connected to a time where you can really celebrate how beautiful you are in a fun way. And yeah, you're nervous at first, but then you walk outside and you see like somebody grandma with a thong on. And then you're like, you know what? I have been doing life all fucking wrong. <laughs> I've just been doing life all wrong. I want her energy. And maybe I'm not going to wear that to work. Absolutely not. But that energy and that confidence of like, how dare you not know how cute I am? You realize it doesn't age out. It gets worse as you age with some of them. And I love it. And you can bring that energy into any conversation. Like, I'm amazing. Just, you know, no matter what you think. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Like that freedom. It's very intense. Um, And it's something that I just like to be reminded of yearly. Sometimes you just, what does Erica Badu say? Been such a long time, I forgot that I was fly. Sometimes you just need to go to places to remember how fly you are, no matter what that is. Oh, I have to say, I cannot think of a better note to end on, to celebrate how beautiful you are in a fun way and recognize how fly you are. I love this. And um, so funny, I was going to ask that, thinking about just the, the party atmosphere and having fun of that, but what a, what a what a beautiful and powerful way to look at it. Yeah. Shannon, I just want to say thank you so much for spending the morning. Like, I have loved this conversation. I hope other Thanks. people. I, want, I, want, I wish we could do it longer, but we both got jobs, girl. We got jobs. We both have, we both have hard hearts, but and, 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 yeah, your EA would, would kill us. But, um, but, um, but I do think, you know, this has been really fantastic. And, um, and thank you for sharing so openly and so okay. deeply. And thank you for having me. Thank you both for having me. You are such, I already told you this, but you and your whole crew are just such an inspiration, I think, to where we're going, what we've always wanted to do, but what I think hopefully more of us are going to do. Um, and I loved your presentation at uh, Creative Leadership. I love how you like double titled it too. Like, what was it like logistics or some shit like that? It was like, don't tell your boss. You want to start your own agency, right? But um, I, I'm a, I'm hyper critical of people who offer online classes because I feel like most of them are a scam. But if you were to ever codify that talk into a class, I'm just saying, get rich quick right now. Just get rich, <laughs> get rich quick, girl. Get rich quick because it was. It was like one of those things, like even if you don't feel like you want to start your own agency, but you just kind of want to do something, whether it's at an agency or you want to start your own side hustle or something like that. Um, as 
your candor in that is so important. So thank you. And I'm happy that uh, you live right around the corner for me too. Well, thank you. Let's go see if we can scare up some Jersey oysters and see if we can see if they're anywhere is good. I don't want a Jersey oyster. (laughs) Then then you're in a Jersey hospital. Um, Anyway, and you're you're gorgeous. Congratulations on all your success and thank you so much. See you later, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope I hope you all enjoyed it. All right. Thank you so much to my friend, Jamie, for doing a fantastic job as a host. Thank you so much to Shannon for being an incredible guest. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did and took as much out of it. Uh, As always, if you're enjoying the podcast and this guest host edition, please subscribe, rate, review, share it with a friend or colleague. As always, thank you to Andrew Feltenstein and my friends at Beacon Street Studios for producing this podcast. And until we talk again, peace. Let them clap for show. Let it wrap your resistance. May trap unknowns. Release, fill your heart, speak, balance flowing.